Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bierman. We're here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And joining us later in the show is our feature guest, Felix Cartel. His album, Expensive Sounds for Nice People, is out now. Features on there, Lights, great friend of the pod. She's got a track on there. Um, yeah, we're going to talk to him in a bit. Uh, you know, uh, Max, I feel like you were out on the West Coast. You were in Victoria with the, the men's basketball team um, who unfortunately did not qualify for the Olympics. We can get into that. We don't. We can maybe just bury it. We don't have to talk about it. But while you were out there, you were in Vancouver and you were on a boat partying with <laughs> Felix Cartel. Is him appearing on our show a direct result of that? It is a direct result of that. Though I did feel bad because here's my issue in going to Vancouver is that there's probably about six people who are dear friends that I really wanted to see, but I only was there for two days, and I needed to see my friend Chris. Um, my like, and he's like my OG roommate from university. He's like priority numero uno. And then the next day, Lights was coming uh, to town, and Lights and Felix are friends. So then that that day was sort of a sign for Felix. Anyway, I plan to not put anything on the internet because I didn't want anybody sort of like knowing I was in Vancouver. <laughs> This is a funny conundrum. It is. And then I was drunkenly on this boat and and somebody like storied me. I forget whether it was the nut or lights or somebody. And I was like, oh, this is awesome content. And I like reshared it or something. And then I was like, oh, fuck. And then people started hitting me up. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm leaving tomorrow. So I kind of fucked that up. But shouts to uh, my boy, Zach Gray uh, from the Zillows, uh, who I wanted to see. My friend Miranda, who I wanted to see. There's a lot of people who I wanted to see. But, um, but I'm back, baby. That's good. But it is an interesting thought in the age of social media when it's, it's not even a nefarious thing. It's just sometimes plans mm-hmm. happen unexpectedly. Yeah. They evolve, but then you actually have to manage whether you post or not. Cause no one wants to, feel I'm just bad. so glad Shane doesn't live in Vancouver. Cause uh, it would have been a nightmare. <laughs> it, like he'd be the worst person to offend. Well, I'm already offended right there, Max, because the, the, the implication is that had you been in Vancouver, I would have been on the avoid list instead of the definitely hanging. So just watch what you say. Um, but we had a great time. Um, it was one of these trips. Uh, the nut came. You know, we talked about this last time uh, because we, mm-hmm. I was there last week when we did the pod. Yeah, we touched on and, it. And yeah. um, it was just kind of like a lot of fun socializing. One thing that's nice to travel with Ash and the nut and our friend Brent is that like we like to get into topics. So like people like, you know, put their phones down and we're like, what are it was kind of like a, a podcast, right? It's like people were like, what is the what do we want to discuss? What are like the news of the day that we want to talk about? Anyway, um, so we did a lot of that. Uh, but at one point, this is probably like on like the sixth or seventh day of drinking. Um, we're at the dinner table and Burchell has to listen to something on a headphone. And it's an it's a TikTok artist that he's very excited about. He's very proud of. And I look over, he's literally crying. I'm like, what are you crying about? <laughs> he's like, this song, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? He could have had other stuff going on. No, <laughs> and, and I think the song may have been, uh, we could beat this if there needs to be confidential for whatever. But the song is uh, called F-M-R-N, which is stands for Fuck Me Right Now. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a ballad? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I haven't listened to it, but uh, but it was uh, but but it was good. Like we were we were in the zone. You know, it's like kind of getting getting the gamut of like friendship. You know, like really kind of like fun morning walks, caffeinated, and we drink a little bit. We're watching all sports. It, it, it was very fun. All right, so you guys all traveled. Mine is Brent, but you, Birchall, the nut, and Ash. You guys were in um, the, the Olympics together. Mm. Uh, so you guys have done this sort of trip before. Do you feel that you're closer coming out of this trip to the West Coast than you did for the Olympic trip? I, 
I think so, because I think the nut has actually improved a lot as a person. He's always been a beloved friend, but I think he's like really taking all the steps to sort of better himself. And this is something he'd talk about. He, he, I think he's seeing a life coach now, and everything that comes out of his mouth is like, see, it's potential versus possibilities. Like anytime mm-hmm. we're in a conversation, it always just gets to, but here's what I think. It's just potential versus possibilities. And I still don't know what the fuck he's talking about every time he yeah. says that. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but but it, sounds uh, nice. it sounds very good. And I think I was telling this though is that he used to be known for more of like a slapstick brand of humor where he was very like outrageous or you know he'd take off his shirt and like you know and just do something like really over the top but he he was actually very quick and funny like the amount of like awesome one-liners he had i was like i didn't know this was in your repertoire like he's he's a a quicker thinker than i think we've, we've ever gave him credit for i think he always had both it was just he removed that one part of his personality because i always found him to be very quick-witted agree yeah he was he was like on fire the whole week and uh brent always calls him out on his shit which is also wicked um you know he'd go on some diatribe and brent would be like no that's completely incorrect and you're wrong (laughs) fair enough um but um one fun thing we made a tiktok of it um is buble started following arkells yeah you were excited about that you put it in the pod group you seemed very uh you got a real bump out. yeah and if i'm going to be fully honest to our uh listeners on the pod i kind of when the dms came in i did read it in real time on the street i was like guys guess what this like stop what you're doing listen to me and and then i would read whatever buble said then you shot the intro uh, yeah yeah but then I was, and then we're like oh <laughs> fuck this would make for a great tiktok so then i recreated it on the street um uh. and the oh see and then your brother greg just texts me he goes you and Birchall are both terrible actors i didn't believe it for a second no. <laughs> oh yeah i i i didn't buy it either i could see that it was constructed but i think yeah. the acting was good actually Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Fuck you, Greg. There you go. I think it's just people think when they can tell you're acting, it's bad. But, you know, when you watch a movie, you can tell they're acting even when it's really yeah. good. And I, I'd put it in that category. Okay, cool. So that was exciting. Um, I had a chance to see Nick Nurse. The, the team fell short uh, of making the Olympics, but I got a chance to hang out with him the day after. That out-of-bounds play was amazing. The the last out-of-bounds play. I watched it a thousand times. I kept rewinding Did you see it. my description of it after talking? Loved it. Oh, I was so into that description. Yes. And it was, oh. it was so accurate. Like, you could never practice that in no. practice. In and practice. just watching how quickly he got it off. So tell tell the listeners tell the listeners what you knew. Tell impart Nick Nurse's wisdom that he sort of passed on to you, which is great for if any of our listeners are. In yeah. The so basically, I, I find even as a basketball fan, I was watching my whole life. There's a lot of plays that are a little over my head, where it's like, oh, the third screen is the one that kind of gets the person open, and you're like, okay, it didn't, that seemed overly complicated just to get somebody the mm-hmm. ball. But what made this play really interesting, and this is the shot that ended up rimming out and not forcing the game into a double overtime, um, is that usually when a person inbounds the ball in basketball, and even if you're a casual fan, you could probably imagine this, the, the passer pump fakes like three or four times. They have five seconds to get the mm-hmm. pass off, and usually they end up releasing the ball in the third or fourth, almost fifth second of that clock. In this instance... He just, as soon as the ref handed him the ball, he threw it all the way to the other side of the court. So the defense, uh, which was the Czech Republic, they had no idea the ball was even in bounds yet, which led to a wide open 15-foot jump shot, which is kind of a perfect opportunity, which Trey Lyles ended up missing. But it was it was just a cool like trick play. It was like an element of surprise. Yeah. Whereas like it felt like it was a thing that like 
a grade schooler would do. Like, all right, just before anyone's looking, throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Like that's it feels like a play that a, like a grade four person. And that's why it works right. because it's so unlikely at a professional level. Yeah. They were, they were just ready for a really structured play. And I was telling Alex right before, I was like, he's going to come up with something very inventive just knowing Nick Nurse. And sure enough, he did. I thought it was going to be know. like a quiet moment. Looked- those rims aren't generous, though, I find. I think the ball's weird, too. The ball's... I yeah. always feel like when I'm watching international basketball, because the balls are too colored, it's like it's bouncier or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's not. But there's something about the rims and the balls that just feel like they're not as forgiving. Yeah. I, I, the one thing I found, too, sitting like when we've been courtside and NBA ball like bounces over to you, is how much smoother. Mm-hmm. You think it would be more like leathery oh, yeah. and like absorby. It's not. It like If you don't have like NBA-sized hands, you can't grip that ball. Like That mm-hmm. ball is slipping right out of well, your Well, you owned an NBA ball ball didn't you Mike Danica got me one as a gift years ago yeah. from like the NBA store in New York City and I honestly was like I don't think she got me the NBA ball this doesn't feel like how I imagine an NBA ball would feel it's not fun to play with no it's like it, it, and it's like this weird kind of leather and then obviously when it, when we were courtside and you feel it I'm like oh yeah that's exactly like the ball that she got me it was like a, you know it's expensive NBA ball uh but yeah anyway uh Maxie what was the mood like in that arena uh in Victoria um I mean, when they're making their comeback, you know, they scored 10 points in, a, in the final minute to, to tie the game up. In, in Wiggins hits that magical shot to send it to overtime. It was crazy because the gamut of emotions that you go through. So with a minute and a half, I go, huh, well, that's it. Okay, you know, you start cheering yourself up. You go, the Olympics are stupid. They shouldn't be happening anyway. <laughs> who, who gives a shit? You know, these guys have been in a bubble forever. Let them go home. They've been trapped. And then the team makes this run. And they're like, no, holy shit. This is all I care about. The Olympics are the best thing ever. And these guys want to go to Tokyo more than anything, clearly. And then they lose. And it's very heartbreaking. It all ends very quickly. You know, it kind of goes from like euphoria and then like seven minutes later, you're like, okay, this sucks. The thing that I was thinking about um, is that, you know, Team Canada basketball has had a tough history in the last 20 years. They haven't made the Olympics since 2000. And despite the fact they probably roster wise on paper have the second most talented roster in the world after the United States. Um, and I was just thinking about the, the, the core group of guys on that team, which is R.J. Barrett. He's 21. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, he was there. He's like 20, 21. Dort is 21, 22. Dwight Powell. All these young guys, they're burdened with this history that they have nothing to do with. Do you think Lou Dort, growing up in Montreal, knew anything or cared anything about what the Canadian Olympic basketball team was doing in 2003 or the heartbreak they had in Mexico in 2013 or any of these things? No. And it just kind of sucks because you read some of the recaps where it's like Canada's cursed history or another heartbreak and it's like for these guys it was yeah there's no correlation it's irrelevant to what happened and and, and also it's not like they have been through the ringer together for 10 years of just like you know travesty after travesty it was like no they this is kind of the first time they've ever played together these guys so I know the narrative is like, oh, Team Canada can't get over the hump. But I think for these guys, they're like, no, fuck that. It's like we've only been here for three weeks, like literally three weeks of our lives playing together. So the hope is, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm part of the program now. We could grow at the program and we can make it to uh, the Paris Olympics. And, um, you know, in talking to Nick afterward, he, he seemed very motivated. And I ran to Nikhil Alexander-Walker and he couldn't be a more like lovely guy. I ran to him on the streets after the game. He was there with his mom, super nice. And so uh, I'm really hopeful for the team. And if we have Jamal Murray and Shea and Chris Bouchard, like the team immediately, Cam Birch, the, the team, team looks amazing. Um, and I was also thinking about that in relation to the Maple Leafs too. You know, everyone's like the curse of the Leafs. They have one since 67. But, you know, Myers and Matthews, like they've been on the team for three, four years. And I know it's like slightly different and the context is a little bit different, but it, it does suck that a lot of these players are burdened by the history of whatever franchise or country they happen to be a part of. 
Well mm-hmm. said. Isn't it Chris Boucher? Or is there a Chris yeah, Bouchard? I don't. It's Boucher. What did I say? You said Bouchard. And I just don't want you to oh, be Boucher. embarrassed later on. Like Jeannie like G- oh, yeah, Bouchard. Yeah, that's it. French Canadians screwed me up. Mm-hmm. My bad. Sorry about that. I, I follow Lou Dort, by the way, on Instagram. And he, he stored himself last night in Montreal going crazy after Montreal won the game in overtime. Uh, and oh, I was like, oh, that's, that's cute. Nice. That's awesome. I saw on social media that Jay Baruchel was at that game oh, as very well. Cool. The actor. That's awesome. Yeah, all, all these Montreal uh, people. Um, but speaking of hoops, Max, you sent along uh, a link uh, to this book called Can't Knock the Hustle uh, by an author named Matt Sullivan. Um, and it's all about the Brooklyn Nets uh, inside the season of protest, pandemic, and progress with the Brooklyn Nets superstars of tomorrow. Um, and I guess this book is sort of becoming a little bit interesting within like sort of like NBA fan circles because it's pretty candid. You know, there's a there's like a, an excerpt about uh, a meeting that Steve Nash had with Kevin Durant while Durant was still on the Warriors and basically said, this is what I admire about LeBron. He doesn't really go on Twitter and mess with, you know, people who have opinions about him. And once you put that out of your mind, you're going to be better. But then Durant couldn't shake that because it's inherently who he is. And there's sort of like all this inside stuff that I think might be uncomfortable for Kevin Durant and Steve Nash, who is now his coach on the Brooklyn Nets, even though this conversation took place when they were both with the Warriors. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what did you find interesting about this? Because to you, you, you looked at this as more of like a player empowerment thing, more so than just like a sort of like a, a, an expose or a tell-all. Um, well, did you have a chance to see the interview with the author? Because I haven't read the book, but my friend Matt, Book Club Maddie was telling me, it's like, oh, this is a really interesting book. I've never like kind of read anything that's like quite this juicy. The, the author went on Dan Labertard's uh, show and it's really worth watching the interview because the author is just like, you know, these guys, I'm not like a normal beat reporter. I don't care about the X's and O's. I just want to get to know them. These guys are very sort of unique in that you can like DM them. And the next thing I know it, I'm like hanging out at their apartment or I'm in the club with them or I'm riding around their, uh, you know, their posse. And uh, and I told him I'm not going to hold anything back. So and, and they were comfortable with that. And like, w- so one of the things he, he revealed is that Kevin Durant just smokes weed all day long, like all day long. He's smoking weed. I was like, wow, like that is <laughs> interesting. And also he and Kyrie Irving didn't um, stand for the national anthem at all during the regular season. That was another thing that like the Nets quietly allowed. And so there's like lots of revelations in the book where you're like really pulling back the curtain with like what these guys are like. You talked about how like Kyrie Irving was the first person, even though Kenny Atkinson, the former general manager, signed him. He got he basically kicked him out of that position. And basically any player that didn't jive with Kyrie was gone, which on one level isn't that surprising. Any star could probably make a player come or go. But just like how much they skirted rules. Apparently the team was practicing as a full unit during COVID when you weren't allowed to meet with only, uh, you're only allowed to meet with like one coach or trainer uh, at a time. And they were like, fuck it, we're just gonna run our own practices. James Harden, you can come, we'll, we'll get you on our team eventually. So there's just a lot of stuff in there, um, especially about Durant and Kyrie Irving that kind of reveal more about who they are. Cause otherwise they're kind of considered divisive personalities within the league. And this book really gets at like who these guys are. And I, I, I just hadn't really thought of another book like it. Thoughts, Shane? I think he said it all, man. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't really set you guys up. Okay, well, here, here's a question. Do you, Okay, so my question, for, I, I should have lofted it back. My bad. So my question is, okay, so we're getting to, the reason why I think this book is interesting and why I want to bring it up is that like we're getting to a part, like a point in our culture where it's open knowledge that like, 
players don't want to stand for the national anthem. There's some players that are going to smoke weed all day long, apparently, and they don't really care who knows it. Do you think like this is sort of the future of, let's say, at least the NBA, where it's like these old sort of military style rules about like the drugs you can take, how you respect your country, how you respect, how you choose to interact with your community is going to be entirely based upon the personal player? Because in the past, it's been about the team, and now it seems like this isn't quite as important to these guys. Mike, what do you think? Well, I think I think a couple things are happening. So, like, in society at large, I mean, forever we sort of worked on the illusion that it's like um, everybody plays by the same rules. So, like, you know, if, you, if you're Tim Duncan, you should be coached the same way as the 15th guy in the bench. And, and that, like, extrapolates larger to, like, society. You know, it's like, hey, wait your turn in line. We're all playing by these sort of rules. And there's sort of, like, this sort of collective understanding and politeness that we all sort of, like, abide. And it keeps things moving to a certain degree. I think the difference is now, and I don't know what triggers if it's just social media and sort of like, uh, you know, a more mass sort of consumption of like opinion and we're sort of getting to a consensus, but it seems now everybody kind of accepts that there are different rules for different people. And so, for instance, like, does Kevin Durant have different rules than the eighth guy on the Nets? Well, obviously, you know, and in the past, maybe we didn't want to say that or maybe it was kind of uncomfortable, but it's like if Kevin Durant wants to smoke weed all day uh, and then he still shows up and has the playoff performance that he had, like nobody cares. Like, I think we're at the point now where nobody doesn't people don't care what you do anymore as long as you can deliver like the thing that you sort of has said you will deliver. So if you can do your job or you're a good citizen, people don't care if you're going to hit the bar for a couple beers or you want to sit on your couch and smoke weed and watch a movie. And then as far as like exceptions being made for the stars, I think it's always been happening. I just think public perception or public opinion has gone more toward the stars at this point. They're like, eh, well, of course they get exceptional treatment. Like they're the unique element. You know, I've talked about this, my theory, where it's like I tend to side on the thing that is the most rare, which is like a LeBron or a Kyrie or a Kevin Durant, more so than some executive that in theory is replaceable. Do you know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. the elite sort of element in the equation. So if they need a little bit of extra and no one people don't like hearing about favoritism, but I don't know. It feels like a very adult sort of um um, understanding to realize that, yeah, there's different rules for different people based on what they can deliver. And it's uncomfortable, but it's the reality. Well, one of the things that um, the, the sort of the trickle down effect of this knowledge being so well known at this point uh, that I'm just kind of curious about is like how this affects like youth sports program, because so much of youth sports is about like, you know, are you being a competitor? Are you, you know, are you being a good teammate? There is a sort of military style of like participation, especially like when you get into like higher levels of of youth sports. And if there's star players that go like, I don't have to do that. Kevin Durant doesn't do it. Like, I wonder if that is going to be unhelpful for people who are like youth coaches, because in the past it was all about like, this is what makes a great player is, is a certain type of leadership. And these guys aren't really showing leadership in they're showing leadership in different ways but not in the traditional way and and i wonder what that means for for young people so two things like youth sports aren't there to make pros youth sports are there to have a good time for kids and then eventually stuff gets funneled to a more elite level and then you sort of like weed stuff out but all of those leagues exist for children not to find like the next great pro they're there to basically let kids run around get some exercise and learn about teamwork and it's not up to like the best kid on the team to be a good leader it's up to the sort of the coach to sort of like be malleable with that and if some kid who's like the best kid on his team 
isn't going to be like a, a real like okay let's bring it in guys and he's that kind of guy in my experience in youth sports like that was really the case anyway like i don't know shaney max you guys went to high school with like kids who were the best at their stuff oh they sucked yeah being leaders they were terrible like the best player on my rep team the best player would not speak he would never talk at all he was he was like Kawhi leonard-esque who's that <laughs> he played for the raptors he hit that no, shot no, that uh but no i know um, <laughs> no um well he, he, this is i don't want to say his name this guy but this guy was unbelievable baller he just wouldn't talk but yeah, yeah so, so, like sorry continue yeah go mike Oh, no. So I was just going to say, like, like Max's argument, or sorry, concern, is it's like, the children. What are the children learning when we see that people <laughs> yeah. aren't, you know, which is like a, an argument as old as mm-hmm. time. You know, who will think of the children? <laughs> uh, but I just think that, like, children are more savvy now than they ever were. And professional sports aren't. I think the, the, the reality is that we've treated professional sports like this, like, sort of feel-good endeavor uh, that exists in a place that isn't the reality of what it is. And that is it exists to make money and it is a business. And there can be good feelings that come along with it. But I just think people are far more aware now of the reality of the situation. So, like, you know, like, yeah, Michael Jordan got a lot of things that other players didn't get because he was Michael Jordan. And you, now you can extrapolate that to every all 30 teams and who the best player were and every industry who are the rock star executives, who are the best people in their sort of elements. They're just going to get a little more rope from the powers that be because they're I guess they're their value is a little bit more tangible uh, or recognizable than the rest. And so is that fair? I don't I don't I don't know the answer to that. Like maybe not theoretically, mm-hmm. but. In practice, it, it's a reality, and I think the only difference is now we're we're all aware of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like even as little as ten, like think about the, the decision with LeBron, so ungrateful. He's ruining mm-hmm. the sport. He doesn't understand what it's like to you know they're they're teaming up, they're ruining the league, all that stuff. I just think that's now become a lot more sort of we understand it in a different way, if that makes sense. And I don't know what it means for the future of sort of youth sports or how we view, I don't know, team sports. But I I think it will just evolve and become its own thing, and it will be okay eventually. Or is mm-hmm. already. Okay, another question for you guys then. Um, obviously, um, this U.S. sprinter who's mm-hmm. banned from the Olympics. What's what's her name again? Shikari Richardson. Yeah, biggest, biggest, most exciting thing in sprinting in the last like few years. And she was banned for having THC in her system. The NBA has made smoking weed, I guess, legal. Like you won't be banned from the league if you're caught within your system. Do you think the Olympics are going to be going that way in the next two years? Because uh, when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, uh, you know, weed does not appear to be one of them. Well, <laughs> it does not Depends appear what, to be one of them. It would be awesome if it, in the next two years they figured out it did enhance you. Well, actually, you know what? Um, I was talking to Book Club Maddie about this, and he was, uh, after this came out, he was on some like message boards for like, you know, sprinting message boards or something. And there is a theory, and this is take this all with a grain of salt because this is all hearsay on a message board, where um, a big part of running the 100 is being really relaxed because it's not like it, yeah. it's just it's just 10 seconds, right? So it's like you being relaxed is really important, and we could be a helpful thing in that circumstance. Which I, well, so could a shot of alcohol, right? But they're not banning that, so why not just? Yeah. And on that theory, let's ban alcohol yeah. too. Yeah, the the weed thing is interesting. Like, I mean, in, in obviously, America, Canada, we we decriminalized uh, weed uh, maybe almost a decade ago. I could be wrong with that timeline. And then, sort of, different states uh, have come around. And America, as they sort of do everything, they're not going to have like a uniform policy for the whole country. They're going to say state by state decide if marijuana, you know, should be decriminalized or legalized, whatever that is. As far as the IOC or like the or the Olympics deciding to allow weed to be like a permissible sort of like narcotic, 
it's like I don't I just don't know if the world is in agreement or in alignment on marijuana the way it is on alcohol so like like with the Asian countries like with the mm, European countries like where do they stand right now currently on marijuana and it's like are they going to allow their athletes to do it maybe there's moral you know grounds there's always been this weird disconnect that I think in North America between alcohol and weed let's say where alcohol is this acceptable thing and weed is this sort of like dangerous gateway drug I'm doing air quotes um, in North America, we've started to sort of like align those two. Like weed is now way more in the alcohol bucket. Mm. Uh, so it seems ridiculous to us that she should, she would be punished for sort of using. I mean, here's my question about this. Do you guys, and this comes down to like letter of the law and then what is practical. So it's like a lot of the argument is she knew it was banned. She said she knew it was banned, that she screwed up. Do you think that that alone should just be like she's out? Or do you think it's like, well, the rule is unreasonable, so let's change the rule and then allow her back in? Or do you think it should just be blanket, like she knew the rule and she blew it? Because that's a, a mm-hmm. lot of people, that's what they base their argument on. Like she knew better. Well, it's definitely like, obviously, I don't think the rule should have been there in the first place. But if she knowingly, like what she said, she knew the rule and she went against it. Yeah, she, it's not fair to everyone else who was not smoking weed who maybe wanted to. To get that relaxed advantage, I, I, <laughs> I get I get that argument, and I you know it's hard to disagree with this. Like if you knew what the rules were, even if the rules stupid, you have to play by the rule. I get that. One thing though, I'm thinking about this. It actually relates to the Brooklyn Nets book. Is that it's like the NBA turns a blind eye to shit all the time. Like for instance, um, the the national anthem. Like Kyrie and Kevin Durant. It's it's like the rule that they're supposed to be standing out there on the court during the national anthem. Yep, they did not. They quietly said, "Well, we're not yep. going to do it." It wasn't like they either of them put out a stance. They're just like, "No, we're not going to do it." And the NBA was like, "Okay, we're not we're not going to make a thing of it." The Olympics, there is a reality, and I know it's hard because the Olympics is a massive organization, and there's various mm-hmm. levels of like, you know, yeah, there's different countries, and it's a kind of a conservative organization in a lot of ways. Um, but they could have just said, this is really fucking stupid. It's actually best for our sport if this person is competing and it's a stupid and we will quietly slap her on the wrist and we'll give her a, a warning. Uh, but we want her to compete because the backlash is brutal right now. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, people talk about like the history of marijuana, you know, and, and, the, and the laws in America being rooted in racism it's just like, and given everything that's happened with BLM around the world, it's just like, is this, all this adds up to something really stinky. And they could have quietly just said, hey, you fucked up. But and, and I know countries might have been pissed off, yada, yada, yada. But I don't know. I think there is some leeway that could have been granted here. Yeah, I think they should change it for sure. Do you guys think that this does lead to change? Do you think that it will be a permissible yeah. Uh, yeah, drug going forward? And even like Max was talking about the players who, di- who didn't stand up. There was players in the NBA who didn't stand up for the anthem who were fine. Like years ago, Mo- Muhammad Abdul-Raouf used to not stand up. Well, this up. is it. This fine every single well, time. Well, this is it. And, but then the NBA like, you know, smartened up and knew better to be like, do we want to make this into a thing? Or do we want to quietly let it go? It's not really hurting anybody after anyway. they saw after the they saw. backlash yeah. in many other yeah. leagues, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And they were pissed off when Carl, Colin Kaepernick was kneeling. And then, you know, two mm-hmm. years later, the, the, the owner of the Dallas uh, Cowboys is kneeling with his players. It's like, okay, what a turnaround. So hopefully the rules are changed. All right, guys, uh, should we get to Felix Cartel, fresh off a boat, partying with Max, a new record out, came out in June, expensive sounds for nice people, uh, a lot of great collabs on there. Um, it's a great conversation. Uh, we got him 9 a.m. Uh, on the West Coast. It was noon here. Uh, but yeah, 
Maxi, any more setting up to do for Phoenix? No, just a lovely guy. You know, we had a, a Vancouverite, Zach Gray, on the show. I said, let's get another one. Let's get, let's get Felix on. Shaney, were you, uh, with his uh, viral TikTok thing, uh, banned from the Gucci store, were you mm -hmm. familiar with that before we were having Felix on uh, the show? 100%. That was huge. I was blown away. One, I think he should have eight times the followers he does on TikTok because that was such a sensation, such a great song he made. And uh, two, I was surprised that that song itself didn't get way more views, regardless of how many followers came from it. Like, had you not heard of it, Mike? I actually didn't. I wasn't aware of oh. the song until we were having him on the show. Like I was aware aware of him. I heard of him as a mm -hmm. DJ. Like I I was familiar with his work. I did not know that he had gone viral on TikTok with this band from the Gucci store uh, song. But I think that also is just that doesn't. This says more about me than it says about Felix Cartel. <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm saying? But you're you're on top of a lot a lot of TikToks that break. The way to know it breaks is it goes into the Instagram world. And you're pretty good at being like two weeks late on a TikTok. You'll throw, <laughs> you, you'll throw it in our Champagne Boys group and be like, check this out. And it's just something that I know because it's from TikTok, but it's new to yeah. Instagram. By the way, Shane. That's why I thought you might be on. Just as your friend, yeah. uh, this is like a flag only because I've experienced this where someone goes, Arkell's like, mm -hmm. I would have thought knocking at the door had way more YouTube streams. <laughs> huh, interesting. Well, isn't that weird to you? And then, I, and then I'm, I'm to be like, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, not the compliment that it sounds like is what Max is no, saying. No, but, but listen, in the TikTok world, I am Arkells, right? Like I, <laughs> I, I have 70,000 TikTok followers right now. He has 55. So if someone had told me, oh, Shane, your last video, I would have expected it to get 4 million. I would be very flattered by yeah, that. So okay. I'm, I'm talking by a guy who lives in the world. Maybe in the music world, it's different, but <laughs> okay. I'm more of a TikToker, right? So we have a different way of being complimenting each other. Okay, you got it. <laughs> Let's get to this. Well, that's a great tease because our listeners can listen for that moment when they discuss the view count on uh, band from the Gucci store. Well, if he was uh, insulted, I'm sorry. I just think <laughs> as a TikToker, it's not insulting. <laughs> Uh, he was great. <laughs> Guys, you want to get to Felix yeah. Cartel? <laughs> let's okay. Let's jump into this. Felix, thanks for coming on, thanks man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Before we, we get into this, because uh, Max just sort of reached out. He was like, I'm having my friend Felix on. We're doing this. Uh, and I wanted to ask about, uh, I've been seeing pictures on social media of you partying with Max and Adam Birchall and other friends of ours. How was your time in Vancouver with all these guys or Victoria in the West Coast? Uh, I didn't go to Victoria, but Vancouver was really fun. We got on a boat, which was nice. I don't go on <laughs> boats very often. You're a natural hang, Felix, I got to say, because we don't know each other that well. But we were commenting we're like after you left, we're like, I fucking love that guy. He's so easy to hang. You know, it's, it's, an, it's a rare skill that somebody can just like effortlessly kind of like hang with a group of people and be rel like really unfazed but also get into the groove start cracking jokes immediately kind of nothing was offside uh it was it was it was delightful well thank you and i had a great time hanging with the group as well so it was uh the pleasure was all mine but do you think i was thinking do you think that comes from touring maybe because you're used to like you know a lots of personalities maybe like different you get the curveball personalities thrown at you a lot Good, Good question. question. I think 
yeah, it's there's a range of personalities when it comes to touring, and because there, there's guys that have been on the road for like their entire lives, but are still so fucking awkward. Like if you meet a <laughs> band of five guys, like three of them are going to be like non-communicative, or it will take like four shows for the, to them to warm up. But maybe because you're in the club scene, maybe this is my theory: is that because you're a DJ and you have to like be super social, you're by yourself. It's a lot more of like a party vibe. People are more willing just to make conversation. If you came up in indie rock, it's a little bit more like sullen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but if you're like, you know, showing up to the club at like, you know, 11 p.m. and everyone's wasted already, you kind of just like get right into the groove. Is there anything to that? Uh, I think there is something to that. But the my only problem with your theory <laughs> is that I know so many awkward DJs too. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I think I was more so thinking like just like promoters and things like that, mm. you know, like those like, you know, like, oh, do you want to go for dinner with the promoter? And I'm always like, yeah, I'm down. Like, let's uh, let's see what's up and like show me the thing in the city and let's eat the thing and, and do the thing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm always like really open to that. And I want to I hate when I hear about people who travel who like don't like to try foods and things like that or like go see the thing in the city. So I'm always like super down. That's like my favorite part about traveling. And I think maybe that's like why I'm sometimes I'll like be rolling with some guy and I'm like, I don't think I have anything in common with this hurt person, but I really <laughs> want to try these Alpha store tacos. So <laughs> do you think DJs who cover their heads with masks, they're more socially awkward in situations? <laughs> they do it uh, everywhere. Dinner. Yeah. No, I'm assuming like, is that why they wear the masks? Because they don't want to be social. Not to name names, but <laughs> <laughs> um. Probably to, like, a degree, yeah. I think there is this, like, uh, there's definitely, like, a side to electronic music which feels like it's nice that you could, in theory, be big without sort of, like, being recognized, I Mm -hmm. think. I think that's, like, Daft Punk set the prototype for that. Do you ever envy those guys? They're like, ah, that seems kind of fun. And and Um, is is there some, like, bullshit behind (laughs) their, like, myth-making where you're like, ah, they're not that special. They just have a fucking (laughs) mask on their face. Uh, the songs are pretty good, though. Yeah, they're pretty. They're bangers. <laughs> yeah. But for like, for, for, it, what's interesting is about people who want to be forward facing, and this applies to like you know Max, your lead singer, like Felix, you're up there DJing. It seems like Daft Punk kind of have this need for or, or, or desire for anonymity. Felix, for you, did you want to be noticed as a DJ? Like, do you like the sort of the recognition element of the the work? No, not really. Um, <laughs> I don't like care about being recognized. But I, on the flip side, like. I do realize like on my covers and stuff like that, like I'm putting my face on it. I'm like not, I'm not unaware of that, but that's right. like more so like, I like, I'm interested in like how you fashion and, yeah. and, and oh. design. <laughs> yeah. Not like, not my, not a vanity thing, mm-hmm. but I like, I like working with like stylists and like creative directors and stuff. And I have a very hard time coming up with like album cover concepts when the album feels personal that like, don't like how, what's more personal than having yourself on the cover, I guess. And it's such a, it is kind of like a classic thing that I like, even going back to like the Beatles and stuff. It's like they just put their face on the cover, I guess. Yeah. So there is something like I like about that. But on the flip side, I also feel like the benefit of being a DJ is like I'm not like on TV or anything like really exposed. So you still have to like kind of follow me on Instagram to like know what I look like, I would say. Right. Which, is good, which I think is a good thing. Well, I was reading, so like your origins are sort of in the punk scene. And I was reading that you saw a lot of similarities uh, between the DJ scene and the punk scene when you started to make the transition. Like, yeah. 
could, what are the similarities that you saw? What's the correlation there that you identified between those two scenes? There are two really obvious ones to me. One is crowd reaction. So when you play in punk, like if people don't like go crazy, you are you feel like the show was not good, basically. <laughs> That's uh, funny. I never thought of that. <laughs> um, like if everyone, like if everyone's standing at a Radiohead show, you can be like, oh, I'm sure they were enjoying the music. <laughs> but if everyone's standing at a, you know, I don't know, a Death by Stereo show, y- you're like, what are we doing wrong? Um, <laughs> And I would say dance music, at least, like, I mean, not. I can't speak for every style of uh, dance music, but um, to some degree, yeah, it's like you're trying to make you're trying to make people dance. It's like it's it, let's simplify it as possible. And like, yeah, so like if you don't get that crowd reaction, you kind of feel like, eh, maybe I like bad track selection tonight or something. Yeah. So mm. um, that, and then the second half is definitely like the DIY ethic of it, and or so the DIY quality of it, and. That probably is like more so like the era that I came up in dance music, which was like Justice, Mastercraft, Boys Noise, all these guys, and they kind of were like, it feels like everyone's making stuff on like stolen software, <laughs> like <laughs> all this like just making what you could make like with what you had, and to me like that was punk rock too. It was like I don't really know how to play the seventh chord, mm-hmm. but who needs the seventh anyways, and. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. So I guess like I like that quality a lot because I I feel like people get so hung up on like I don't have the right gear. I don't have the right studio. I don't have the right insert a million things. And I feel like a lot of it's a crutch to to make stuff. Shane, I thought Shane was going to say something. Um, <laughs> no, I like just having uh, a minute pause in between questions. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally natural. <laughs> I, know, well, I was, like, I was, I was actually like, thinking of a question. Um, the hierarchy in DJing, like some DJs, they just play songs, I would think, that already hits, and other DJs are making songs, but you just call them a DJ. And you, obviously, you made that huge Gucci song. Is it <laughs> annoying to be all lumped in together when sometimes you've actually made something and people just think you're just hitting play or are you actually just hitting play when you show up? Uh, no, no. <laughs> like DJing play. is hitting play. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like try to um, act. I, th- I, I always like DJing to me is the fun part. I don't like making music is the hard part. I mm-hmm. think, um, I mean, there's great, I don't want to like shit on DJs or anything like, um, but I don't like DJs that have egos about like it being this like insane thing too so that is like there is a balance i think that should be drawn um but i would say like the culture of djing has changed because you can't tour as a dj unless mm-hmm. you have a song now so that like when i came up there were djs like annie mack errol alkin and they were more like traditional like even like um pete tong or something those guys didn't really have like records they didn't have like a big hit out and then the whole like kind of dj scene shifted where now dance music is becoming mainstream you're hearing it on the radio and stuff and literally promoters are booking you now whether or not you have a song i guess Mm -hmm. and whether or not people are making those songs themselves is the is the debate i guess at this point well we were we were talking about your process and you were saying that like ideally when you're working with another artist like you're building a song from the ground up you're in the room with them and so you are a songwriter um 
I always think it's interesting to think about like um, a DJ Khaled where I'm like, where I've heard his backstory and he was just sort of like a Miami radio DJ, which is like a, yeah. a radio DJ is different than like a producer DJ. Um, who, who are the ones in the DJ Khaled <laughs> category that are more just like a brand and less about making the actual song themselves? Oh man. This is going to be a juice. That's a juicy question. <laughs> We're going to put this on Reddit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing is, like, I don't know. A lot, so much of it is speculation, right? Mm. And I think people, as they get bigger, unfortunately, I think you're going to shift more into like a curator role because uh, that's my dream. Because, because yeah, personally, um, yeah. I don't know. I can't tell if you're being serious, but uh, mm. no, no, you, know, you should. Oh no, he's being 100. You should. Yeah, I like but I think cur- You know that. I think curating is a, a skill, is definitely a skill, and coming up with like being like a tastemaker, I guess, would be sort of like how I would define it. Um, there is like there's room for that. I mean, I'll give a like a candid conversation I had with Cascade once was he was he has a guy that he writes a lot of his music with, and they produce stuff together, kind of like a um, a little more behind the scenes guy, and he was just saying like, you know, once I hit the level of like touring constantly, like how are you supposed to like be in the studio all the time as well? So it's kind of like if you build a, if you build a machine, you, you need more cogs, I guess. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that's what's happening with some of the bigger DJs. Um, you know, if you're tour like some D de- like Steve Aoki's playing like 300 shows a year, 400 shows a year. So it's like, <laughs> There's only 356 days. He doubles up. You do afternoon. I'm not. I'm not making a mistake. Like I, he like that guy will do three shows in a day. Sometimes Mm. he's 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 insane. And so yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it's like the same. Isn't pop music the same? Isn't everything the same? Like you have people, you have teams, right? One thing we talked about, which I thought was (laughs) funny, was just like how you've really like downsized your rig uh, as a musician. And you're like, I'm mixing. I don't even mix on real speakers anymore. I mix on my laptop, like my laptop yeah. speakers. And when I'm going to a gig, I don't have to bring anything but maybe a USB stick. Like I don't even bring my laptop anymore. Yeah. Can you can you talk about your sort of evolution of, of your relationship with, with gear? <laughs> yeah. And why, sure. why it's shrunk so much? Mm-hmm. Well, when I started, it was it was that as well. It was just my laptop. And that was when I was like, I don't know. I would call that like the the delighted accident phase of my career when I was like, if I came up with something that sounded remotely good, I was just like, that was a good day. Or I was like, oh, this actually doesn't sound horrible. Good day in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that could be like my first album for probably. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that. So then it, from there, like as to be honest, it has a lot to do with like the evolution of technology too. So laptops were a certain power at that point and then it was like oh i want to do a little bit more software stuff i should probably get a desktop like an imac or something that just has a little more juice and um then i was in living in that for a while and then i'm kind of like nah, nah, i'm not as portable and that sucks because i'm traveling a lot all these things i'm having inspiration i don't know when i see a a waterfall and it makes me cry or something mm. you know you gotta you just want to bring your laptop out and, and catch that that rain and water sounds and tear sounds and um <laughs> i don't know so it was that and then i kind of like got back to like i actually thought about that sort of like punk rock diy thing where i was like i want to go back to that feeling of just like having it really minimal and then kind of like once i looked around i was like actually almost macbooks are like 
almost the same power as as any iMac you could get anyways so it was going back to that and just like wanting to like I, I, to me like I think of it as a flex like not like a, <laughs> like th- and that's how I kind of own it I guess so I love that about dance music I'm like I'll always be like, what did they make this on? And then I'm like, oh, they made it on that? Oh, man, I have so much work to do because that <laughs> program's not even good. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're just bringing a USB and you plug yeah. it in and it plays, wouldn't it be the ultimate flex if you didn't even stand there? If you just left? <laughs> <laughs> and well, is that an enough. option? <laughs> if I drink enough, that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what do you do like when you're there obviously you do have to stand there like what if you can't dance could can you just stand there like a pencil or is there like expectation to almost pretend that you're doing things uh, i mean i am mixing song to song so it's oh, okay. not like i'm just pressing play on a one hour and a half file and then like dancing to my own mixtape. Oh, Max but... said that's what you do before this interview. He goes, <laughs> I misinterpreted what he said. On the boat. There's a lot of drinks on the boat, so I kind of forgot exactly how he, how, he, how he does it. But I would say, like, you know, if you're touring and especially if you're playing like a festival, like if I was playing a festival and I had an hour set, like I know every, mm-hmm. I'm planning the set out because I want to, like, I want to nail it. I want every, I want to know mm-hmm. every move. I don't want there to be any weird like minute and a half lull in the crowd so it's to me like djing compared to like when i was in a band not that my band was anything big or good and maybe this is why we weren't big because i didn't think about these things but i kind of feel like uh you know i really try to like narrow it down to like no wasted seconds so i'll delete eight bars from a a track if the night before i felt like it it, like dragged for a little bit things like that so and I guess, uh, are you able to call audibles on the fly if you're like, this isn't working, and then you're just, like, doing some sort of magic? And, totally. Yeah? Totally. Yeah, like, you know, I'll, uh, you can get out, you can mix out of a song before the, the second chorus if you have to. Nice. So definitely doing those types of things. There's also a lot of tech, like, with the CDJs now where you can skip eight beats, like, in a song just by, like, pressing a button Mm -hmm. so they have all these things or like looping eight beats if you want to like keep it going so you can do those things on the fly um yeah and i i think like on the flip side if i'm playing a club gig um that's when it becomes sort of like more improvisational so um i might know my first 15 minutes so i come out strong and i kind of like know how i'm going to end it because you want to end the show with like a bang um but then I might just throw like a bunch of stuff on my USB of just stuff I've been listening to for the past month that is exciting to me. And I'm like, I just want to see if this works in the club tonight. So that's sort of like the other side of it, which is, I guess, more like a jam band in a sense. Just like jamming with yourself up Yeah, there. you always remind me of fish whenever I see you. <laughs> and I see yeah. you. It's such a fish vibe. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I think of Shane as an expert in TikTok. He has sort of mastered mm. the art form. And I also think uh, Felix is an expert on TikTok. What oh do you think makes for a good TikTok in the, in the Felix world, at least? Give me the, the main qualifications. And then we'll get into the Gucci store story because that's a good one too. But <laughs> talk us about your evolution in TikTok. Um, my biggest like game changer was treating the app as dumb as I think it is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's funny. I guess like, I don't know. 
I think I do think about like what makes people want to watch the whole video. That's probably like probably like the smartest answer I could give you for an app that is arguably kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> so I definitely like think having like a hook, you're like, oh, like where is this going to go? Like things like that, not to get like too technical about it, but that. And then I just think like you have to be like your weird the, like the things that I think are weird to me have usually done the best. Um, so yeah, be your, be, be your own weirdo. Uh, niche is always better than trying to hit mainstream, I think. Mm. And how many followers do you have right now on TikTok? 55,000. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that was in like two months basically. Yeah. But I had it for like, I, I've had it for like, I think almost two years now. Yeah. I didn't really like find my stride till till recently and the gucci how many views did the gucci song get uh i think it's six million now wow i would have i'm actually shocked how low that is i it, to <laughs> me it's like i, I would have thought like 30 million to me it was like as big as that cranberry juice guy almost oh, really <laughs> yeah maybe like are you seeing this through the lens of Canadian and it's like just big in Canada or something? <laughs> <laughs> but so, I don't know. So when no, I, I don't, I, I, the thing is that engagement was on that video was pretty nuts. So yeah. like, I kind of like, as it was going, I was pulling up a few other people's videos that had 4 million mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, this has like 15, 20 mm -hmm. times the comments. So uh. I think that, and I think that's a, a Another, th I think that almost sometimes that's the more important metric is like the likes and the, and the comments because then you're creating yeah. like I don't know, it's like I man, sometimes when I talk about TikTok, I feel <laughs> it feels weird. <laughs> analyze analyzing this stuff. Oh, yeah. I do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, dude, how did you come up with the video where you like uh, drank the the apple cider vinegar and then <laughs> threw the bottle against the wall? What, so what was your thought process behind that? I don't know. <laughs> but when you watched that original interview that you made that Gucci song from, did it jump out at you that, oh, the way he said that is kind of musical in a way, and I'm going to make this into a song, or did it take a lot of thought? No, it took no, it took no thought. Like, I literally, <laughs> my friend sent me that, and I was just, like, good friends with him. And I was like, yeah, this could be fun. And that was it. It was not like obviously like the kids ha the uh, kid Josh is his name. He has a very um, like I don't know like uh, charismatic delivery. So that is mm -hmm. obviously a big part of it. But I definitely it's weird. People now think I'm like the the meme the like I I know the <laughs> meme the next memes or something. And I, I I don't know. I don't I didn't know this one. Does anyone ever know anything? Isn't that the isn't that the whole industry? Something happens <laughs> and then they think they can map out the next thing, and it's a lot more random and arbitrary than people tend to think it is. But they, we want to we want to find the way it works and unlock the secret. But maybe there is no secret. Like on the flip side, if we go back to music, have you ever met someone who like called their hit song in advance? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's true. Mm -hmm. I feel like that guy would be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of music Max had mentioned sort of being in the room uh, and writing uh, with artists which is you know like songwriting sort of at, at its core and on this record Expensive Sounds for Nice People uh, you work with Lights who's a great friend of this podcast and then also uh, Sophie Simmons I was wondering mm -hmm. how that relationship came about because I know of Sophie because I used to cut promos for Family Jewels. So I oh, was crazy. really like, and then obviously she's gone on to do other things. But how did you yeah. guys uh, become friends? So this is Gene Simmons' daughter we're talking about. You got it. Yeah. 
It was the yeah. same thing. Like she just, um, she was getting into writing and stuff, and I think she just reached out on Twitter, like, "Hey, wow. I like I like this song. If you're in LA, we should try and write together." It was super casual, and I was like, "Yeah." And she had a few things on Spotify already, so um, kind of went through it, and I was like, "Oh, she's got she's a really good singer." And um, yeah, you never know if someone's a good writer. And I would say like the first time we wrote. It was kind of like, it was it was um, it wasn't as like great as I thought. But then when we, like as we kept going, like she she works like so hard at it that like the next time I saw her, I'm like, you're better than me now at songwriting. <laughs> like you put you like put in the work so hard. And like anytime anyone like I don't know if you got have you guys like been in the writings like scene in in LA like doing sessions with like all the session people i've done a bit of it i have not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like it's a it's wild like to me it's it's such a grind like people do two a days for mm-hmm. like four years like two sessions a day five days a week maybe even six days a week and um yeah sophie just kind of did that and i was like you so when the next time i wrote with her i was like i have so much respect for you because you just like put in the work and like you're so good now and um and that's all like i honestly that's like really all i care about when i write with people is like trying to find that quality of like eh do you like are you just trying to like get it in and and like be become better and learn and 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 open to learning more and all those like cliche things but i don't know i can always tell when someone's just trying to like score a quick hit or like yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah and i try to like suss that out if i can because it's like an it's a different different agenda. Okay, la- last question here, because um, we're gonna let you go back to bed. You're on the west coast, and it's no, I'm, I'm early in the studio in the now. No, I, I can keep I can keep it's going. It's ten a.m. He's a DJ though. Oh, he okay, yeah. until three in the morning yeah, right. working. I actually haven't uh, slept yet. I just got <laughs> home from the after party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you told me an interesting story about how when you wanted to actually make the Gucci Store song for real you couldn't actually use the piece of audio um, in that original TikTok. Correct. And so then you had to re-record the guy saying it in a studio. So it wasn't like a live oh, street wow. or interview. So can, can you walk us through all that? Yeah. So we basically just had so many comments that were like, put this on Spotify. And obviously no one knows how you can't just like click a button and put it on Spotify. It's like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, pretty close <laughs> no, but like, you know, there's some like back-end stuff that needs to happen obviously uh and obviously one of the things was that audio was from this other accounts page so yeah we were just like we need to have it re-recorded so the audio is ours um because and, it belonged to the radio station, sorry, the, the television network, like the NBC News affiliate, uh, right? Yeah, the interview show. I don't know what the, I don't know who their affiliate is, but it was definitely like a TikTok interview show, and mm. um, they, I think they had said they they didn't want to authorize the audio any further, and I was like, cool, so we'll we'll just record our own thing. So then we were doing that, and then um, yes, yeah, so we got Josh like in a studio in New York. Uh, the label set it up, which was like so weird to me and then yeah and then i had like the waves delivered you know a couple days later and then i was kind of working on it and i was like yeah this sounds 
pretty good but it's not like it's not like he tracked it to a song or i don't th even think he i didn't send him the beat or anything he literally just like went in said the lines and then and, obviously <laughs> it's like kind of close because it's him <laughs> but it's not like he's not gonna like he's not a voice actor he's not like gonna like nail every you know inflection identical to the meme um and then i posted sort of like a teaser thing that was like I know you all said you want the meme to come out. It's happening. And then I posted a teaser. And uh, people were like, "This." I thought you were going to use the original audio. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. That like It didn't sound that different to me, but I was like, okay, it's obviously a little bit different. And then I realized, oh, this is not going to work unless... Like, it has to be the meme. That's all people want. They don't want, like, the new version of the meme. They don't want, like... Eiffel 65 blue, like 2021 version. No one wants yeah. that. Um, <laughs> so then I just literally dragged in the other audio and I was like going through note by note, like word by word, like adjusting it by like half tones, trying to get it. Oh, just to try and match it. Yeah. It was so, I was like this, this, this is no longer like a fun meme. This is like work now. This <laughs> <laughs> like, is um, such a pain in my ass right now. And what I'm like, oh shit, he was in Times Square. So now I'm like Googling like audio from Times Square that someone uploaded to YouTube and like putting that in the background. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or not YouTube. I did. I don't, I didn't. No, it. no, no. I you found didn't it from a free no, You went to Times Square and you recorded yeah. a live sound audio. website. And, um, yeah, and then I'm, and then on top of that, I'm like, okay, people heard this. This is how I recorded the original. It's someone recording him, posting that video to TikTok, and then like I'm taking the audio from that, downloading that to my laptop, mixing in a song, and then I'm recording that with my phone and putting it back on TikTok. <laughs> so it's like the audio is so shit at this point <laughs> that. <laughs> like that was the other thing. I'm like, we, we've recorded this now in a studio. Like now it sounds good. Like this is this is this is not how it should sound. So then I'm like, downloading presets for my like EQ that like make it sound like a phone. And I'm like trying to like <laughs> I'm basically trying to like make it sound bad for for like seven hours. So uh, and then <laughs> afterwards I had timed all the vocal out. And then I was like, ah, the opening part has to be the same as the meme. So then I had to like put it out of time <laughs> wow so i don't know yeah, it was like it was kind of like this is my theory with it but this is my theory with every song like the first 70 60 percent maybe is like fun that's when you're like yeah making music's fun and then like the last part is is when it's no longer fun because you're just uh then it's just it's like i don't know it's just, just fine-tuning it you're just, just logging like, hours and yeah. like doing the work and it's kind of you know can be a little painstaking sometimes well thank you very much uh, felix i well, call I'm you chill. Taylor. I'm, ch I'm chilling if you guys are actually thinking i have to go back to bed i'm, I'm chilling if you want to chat a bit more. <laughs> it's all good you're here you're I ready know, i don't know how long your i don't know how long your show normally is but if you're trying to cut it short on my behalf it's uh not necessary did we just i think we lost max on the well, wi-fi there good riddance maybe max, it, max is pretty good riddance max is frozen <laughs> 
Well, maybe that is a good time then. <laughs> Come on, number one song on alt rock radio, and you can't get good Wi-Fi. What is this? Honestly, man, it is like it is an ongoing issue. His Wi-Fi at home. Um, I just caught the end there before my internet cocked out. But we're we're uh, we're good. That's awesome, Felix. Really appreciate. Cool. Uh, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so no much worries. for joining us. Uh, yeah, and it was great seeing you. And, and maybe next time when you guys are all partying on a boat, Shane and I can get on a plane yeah, that'd be awesome. and get on that boat as well. <laughs> I would love that. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Okay. Uh, that was our conversation with Felix Cartel. Expensive Sounds for Nice People is out now. Guys. We're in the dessert. Yeah, Shane surprise. I call I call them both. But Shaney, what do you got? Okay. Well, first off, I just want to make sure are we and because father-in-law John has been asking Sorry. Max, <laughs> are you still there? Okay, Max dropped his phone. But is it happening? Is this cottage trip actually happening or was this just a fun bit for the podcast? It, when, when are the available dates between now and the end of August? <laughs> no, it, it is happening. I just can't. Best answer. It's provisional. It's provisional. So the dates can happen at any time, which I know is going to upset you, Max, because that limits your excuses. But it's, it's <laughs> okay. any time in the future. Okay, in done. Okay, here's my other question. Okay, is is it is it just the th- like three of us and 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 your father in law, uh, or 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 can we bring like the nut with us? Uh, I think if the nut wants to come, that would be. That would be good, yes. Like that could be really fun if the nut comes. Okay, just a thought. Just like, a thought. Does that mean does that mean Brent comes too? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I was just wondering if it was supposed to be a, a strictly a four man trip. Or... No, as long as it's the boys, and I don't mean to be sexist, but no women allowed. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't mean to be sexist, but no women. Allowed. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um this, this is turning into like the little rascals no, no. like don't they have that sign on their clubhouse yeah, no girls lot. well um, it's already already alex has tried to put the angle this is bullshit i'm coming danica can come she did that with your bachelor party by the way she, this is her oldest trick in yeah. the book honestly <laughs> that's what i mean so the whole point is for it to be a getaway because then if Alex comes, then the kids come and then, you know, you're going to feel alienated, Max. So I want to keep it with the boys. Uh, but we did receive a DM and I'm not sure if you've checked this out, but a guy has a private basketball court Ooh. and tennis court on his, sounds like an estate, but he DM'd us. What? We got it. We got it. We got a DM where someone offered a private court. Where's my damn phone? Oh, I'm using it for this pod. Damn it. He said, first time caller, long time listener. I also have a place at Eagle Lake. It's this gorgeous place with a private basketball wow. court. I would love to watch you guys play two on two, tennis, all these facilities. So I agreed to it, but there is a mild risk that it could be like a misery situation. <laughs> Max, did you see this? I didn't see did it. you see no, this I message? Didn't catch that. I didn't mm-hmm. see it either. Well, wow, no, that's and, I mean, how, they couldn't take all of us, right? Like, I think we're fine. Four grown men, they, it'd be fine. Oh, oh, in the misery, in the misery situation. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're overestimating how tough we are. But we don't know how, what their crew is. That's back true. There, that's true. The cottage. Yeah. Like, if you have a little layer, you're gonna have some backup or at least a weapon. So, but Shane, what if this thing starts spiraling? Like, so, like, first the nuts coming, and then you know, my brother's back mm. in town, so now he's coming, and then like you know, Doss, he listens to the pod, and you know, and then all of a sudden it becomes I love a Sean boys, Dawson. Like, coming Ooh, that'd be good you know what, what happens know. in that case does john have a cat yeah that's numbers? the question it's more just gender specific <laughs> you know <It's, laughs> i can't stress that enough guys <laughs> 
No, but yeah, but there is also a bed concern. Oh, sure. That, like how many? How many? And and I I do think we are fairly like you know easy to appease, so people could sleep on the floor, I suppose. But let's keep it somewhat reasonable, just to have it somewhat comfortable. I like it. Well, let's start. Well, let's start looking at dates. I, like we can do okay. this offline, but yeah, let's try and pack in a, a, a like pick 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 a day or two and, and figure out when I love we're going to do this. Yeah, it just has to be after the thirteenth because the thirteenth is when I'll be fully double vaxxed because I have to wait that two week period. Yes, um, sir. But anyway, that wasn't the end dessert or surprise or whatever we're calling this. I I just wanted to tell a little story and then pose a question mm. to you. So uh, mm. yesterday was my daughter's first birthday. Uh, Betty. So it was a hectic day running around, but there was a moment where I had about a half hour window to get out of the house where Alex was getting Betty in her dress and Lucy dressed up for this little get together with family are going to have to celebrate her birthday. So I have this one check that I received and you know, this check. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I'm very interested to know how this turned out because I have a very similar check. Yeah. Mike and I both did some freelance writing work and we got paid, but the check, <laughs> it's in US mm. dollars. So typically, you know, I, I've, I've gotten in the habit of learning actually how to do banking with my phone. I take a picture of the check, I take the front and the back, and it, it goes in my account. But with this check, that does not work because it's a mm. US, it's USD. So I actually, actually have to go to the bank. So I was gonna use this half hour window to just cash the check in and out. I, th- I got sweatpants on, I actually wore an Arkells sweatshirt. And it was hot out though. I didn't realize. I, <laughs> Did you think the Arkell sweatshirt was gonna make things go smoother or was it just coincidence? I'm just trying to make Max happy that I'm supporting the band. <laughs> but it's a sweatshirt. It's the old Arkell, the black one with the white writing. I get in the van, I'm like, ooh, sweatshirt was a bad choice, but these banks are always air conditioned anyway. Anyway, go to the bank. I have three checks with me. One that has, that's a Canadian check that I just brought along because while I'm there, I might as well cash all the checks I have. One that's a government check that I get for having kids that has my wife's name on it and this, USD check. So I cashed the, the one in Canadian funds that has my, my name on it, fine. Then I go to the USD check and the person behind the counter all of a sudden is like, oh, I have to get a manager for this one. So the manager comes over, eyeing me up and down, looking <laughs> at the check, doing this, typing in numbers, they're whispering to each other. Where, where'd you get this check from? And I go, California? <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, you this so this is like you can you did work and they paid you." I'm like, "Yeah, I wrote a commercial." <laughs> and and then they go, "Oh, can, can you uh like what company?" I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. Like uh, I can call the guy." So I get nervous and I call Unsworth, who's the person who paid, while you're in line. He doesn't yeah, while well, I'm at lineup, I'm like panicking and I'm already sweating. I'm wearing the sweatshirt. I'm wearing sweatpants. My hair is long, behind, like behind my ears. I, I do look a little nervous. And he, he doesn't answer. And then they're like, we're going to hold this check for 21 days. Oh, 21 days. I just go, okay. They go, 21 business days. I'm like, I'm like yeah, cool. I'm like, great. And they're like, they, they want me to fight them. And they, they go, uh, this is for your own good, you know. <laughs> this is to protect you. <laughs> and I go, okay, yeah, that's good. I'm, and then I'm like, I, I guess it kind of looks like a fake check, eh? Like, I guess it looks fake. Oh, my fake. God. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, like, have you looked at the handwriting on this thing? 
Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Danica was a little bit dubious that we were going to be able to catch yeah. these. She's like, you can just bring that? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm going to try. So, like, yeah, I want to look at the way, like, the U-S, like, the U. <laughs> see how it's like. I have to post a photo of that. That's funny. Yeah. So they were so suspicious of me. And the woman hated mm. me so much. And then uh, they wouldn't cash my check that had Alex's name on it, even though it's a joint account. Wow. And then I just went, okay, I'll just do it on the app. I was just bringing it to just do it all. And I was wondering, has there ever been a situation where that's happened to you where like, it seems so obvious you have done something wrong, but you haven't? The confidence that you're right, even though somebody is sort of accusing mm -hmm. you of something, is that sort of what you're getting? Or at? even though you have confidence, you're still nervous and, you know, acting guilty, even in the face of... <laughs> Because I looked very guilty, and Unsworth, and the handwriting on this check was identical to my handwriting. Okay, I have I have one kind of actually. Uh, this actually happened yesterday, so um, I'm gonna be playing in a summer softball uh, league, and um, the division that or the um, neighborhood that we thought we'd be playing in turned out to be wrong. They kind of like devised the areas of the city in a stupid way. And it would turn out that we'd have to like be driving all the way across the city. It would just be like very not convenient because the whole point was like we want to be able to ride our bikes to the base or walk to, to, to the baseball field. So I called in and I was like, I know the, the season's starting tomorrow. I know it's a tough year for any kind of organized sports, but I was wondering, like we were a little confused on the sign up date and we thought we were in this area. We thought we were downtown, but now we're all going to have to be all the way uptown. This is just like not great. So if there's any way we can... Um, make a change and join the downtown league, that would be incredibly helpful. And I, I totally understand that this is like a tough time for, for the league. So just wanted to ask the question. And he says, okay, okay, let, let me look. Um, okay, what, what's, what's, your, what's your name? And, and what's your email address that would be affiliated with the team? And I was like, it's uh, Max. And, it's like, and your email is like, and then he said, am I talking to the Max Kerman? <laughs> I was like from Arkells he's like oh my god I'm a huge fan I've been to so many of your shows I'm going to look right into this wow so yeah it's basically the same thing as you Shane what, <laughs> what? <laughs> you weren't accused of anything you no you, being... you had the best experience. I know I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> this is a classic Max story all right. I that think that's as good, good. A, good a moment yeah. as any to get yeah. out of this. That's Thank hilarious. you so much uh, to Felix Cartel. Uh, Max, good luck with relocating your baseball team. You think it's going to work so. out? We'll see. Okay. Well, I'm sure it will. Shaney <laughs> boy, we're going to figure out this trip. Uh, John, I know he listens to this podcast. We're going to figure out a date. We're all going to go up. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We'll record a podcast. Thank you to Felix Cartel for coming on the show. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Max, you look like you want no, to say something. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>